This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Labels. I'm your host, Rosanna Gill, and I am so, so glad you're here today. This was such a fun conversation for a few reasons, okay? So I reached out to Deborah, and you'll hear this because I was so curious about her her background. You know, she posed for Playboy, and she was top 5% uh, in, as in life insurance salesperson, which is two pretty opposite things to... <laughs> to be at the top of your game or to do. But I was so curious to talk with her. And then the beauty of all of these conversations that I get to have for this podcast is it ended up going in a completely different direction for the last 20, 30 minutes of the podcast. And it was all about this journey of healing that she's currently going through right now. And what an amazing conversation. I mean, it was fun. And there's so much that I feel like anybody can relate to on wanting to understand why we react to things the way we do. So I'm so appreciative for Deborah for being so open and vulnerable and just a joy to chat with. So you are in for a treat as always, as you always are with this podcast. Now, before I jump in, I did want to let you know about a new partner of the podcast. This is super exciting. So I recently decided to use at-home aligners, specifically through Candid, Candid Co. I had done some research. I actually tried to do this a year and a half, two years ago with a different company. Wasn't quite prepared for the pain that I felt with the aligners. Um, And I know that that's probably very naive, but I never had braces as a kid. I had what I like to call broke kids braces, which was I had gaps, but we didn't have money for braces. And luckily, we well, we also didn't have money for me to get my wisdom teeth out. So when my wisdom teeth came in, it actually closed the gap. So it was fine. And I was like, well, cool. I don't need braces. But then in my late 20s, uh, it was time to get those wisdom teeth out because they were starting to cause crowding. So, you know, it kind of started to have the opposite effect of what I wanted it to. And unfortunately, even though my wisdom teeth have been taken out, it it's progressively gotten worse as far as the as far as the crowding since then, and so I know it's one of those things that other people would be like, "Oh, it's no big deal," but it's something I notice in pictures. So I just thought, you know what, thirty four years old, who cares if somebody's going to make fun of me for having aligners? But the beauty of it is, is nobody can really tell. And what I really liked about the candid ones is with the previous brand, which I'm not going to put them on blast. I think it was fine. I just again. At that time, I don't know that I was ready for the commitment of wearing aligners because there is a commitment, y'all. You have to wear them for 22 hours a day. Um, but with these, the thing that I really, really like is you can eat with them and you can drink with them and more than just plain water because with the other brand, I was told you cannot have anything but water. Now, understand, if you're having like a super sugary drink, you should definitely wash out your aligners afterwards because you don't want that sugar and like, especially with soda, like sitting in your aligners and like your teeth soaking in it, right? But the point is, you can have 
flavored water. You can drink things with color with your aligners. It will not stain them. And I waited to share this partnership because I wanted to test it out. And I've been wearing them for two weeks. So, and I've been drinking margaritas. I've been drinking my gallon of water that I flavor with my BCAs. I've been drinking anything I want. I've been drinking iced coffee. I do not drink hot coffee with them but I do drink iced coffee with them. And no staining, y'all. None at all. Not nearly the hassle that I felt like it was before when I used the other brand. Um, And I just think it's a great thing for people. If you're self-conscious about your smile, change it. Do you, boo. Do whatever makes you feel happy and confident. My treatment is looking like it's a going to take about eight months. So hopefully by about February of 2022, I will have a nice straight smile. And in the meantime, you can't tell that I'm straightening my teeth, which is pretty awesome, I must say. So for listeners of this podcast, if you use the link in the show notes, there's no promo code, but just use the link in the show notes and you will get $250 off of your aligners. Kind of can't beat that. Kind of a great deal. So if you are like me and you're a little self-conscious about maybe some crowding that can't, that's happened later in life or there's something you've always wanted to fix, then use the link, set up a consultation, and go in. Oh, and that's the other thing I should mention. I've only had to go in once in person when I got my initial scans. When you get your Candid Co. aligners, like they send you the entire set of treatments for the whole, for me, eight months at once, and they send this cool little gadget. I don't know what it's called, but it takes scans of your teeth as you're going along and sends those scans to orthodontist who can then analyze the scans and say, okay, do we need to tweak something? Is everything coming in okay? But I don't have to go into an office, which is really nice for my schedule and just life in general. So really cool. The brand I used before didn't actually do that. So I really like that there is some someone moderating or looking at my scans as I go. And it's really easy. You get an app on your phone that you submit the scans through. Oh my God, it's amazing. 2021, y'all, technology is something else. So again, if you're interested in at least having a consultation, use the link in my show notes and you will get, if you do decide to get aligners, you'll get $250 off your aligners. So, so excited for you to try it. And if you do, take a picture and let me know. All right, with that, let's jump into this great chat with Deborah Driggs. Okay, good. So I am so excited that today I get to talk with Deborah Driggs, who is a couple things that really piqued my interest. One, you're a Playboy Playmate centerfold. And two, you worked, you were a top 5% of insurance salespeople. <laughs> Completely opposites. Yes. Spectrums, <laughs> you know, one is sexy and one is not so sexy. So, yeah. <laughs> To the insurance, right? Uh, you what? You could you you could say you brought the sexy to the insurance. Sort of, not really. No. I mean, you know, <laughs> no, I did not. No, that's not, not with it. Not with the kind of insurance that I was doing. You know, it's it's it it it's pretty. You know, I prepare people for unexpected life events, so you take mm-hmm. it. You know, it's a serious, more serious conversation, and so yeah, there is this this intrigue as to how does a Playboy centerfold go from being on the cover of Playboy and doing all these sexy things to going into this business that is completely like out of left field and 
and all of that. So I think really what my gift is, is, is people and networking mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. putting people together. And so before I got into the business, the people that did my life insurance when I was married, I had referred them at that time. It was the biggest case they had ever done. It was an $80 million case. And oh. this was, Whoa. yeah, this, this was back in 2002. And so I was, I put these, put these people together and I said, this is who did my insurance. And so they ended up getting that deal. And I ended up getting a check for $250,000 just from making a referral. Now my, my husband had his license, so we were able to get a referral fee. So cut two, I get divorced. I have to reinvent myself because I'm 40 years old. I'm broke. I have no money. This is what I was saying to myself. I, I wasn't broke, but you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. didn't have money, had three kids. So I had called them and I said, you know, I refer you a lot of business. And now that I'm divorced, could I get a referral fee if I refer you business? And they literally both said, go get your license. And so I did like right away. I just thought, okay. And so I studied for a couple of weeks, you know, like I, I did a rush mad. I'm getting my license today type of thing. Mm -hmm. And cause when I make up my mind to do something, it's like now when's a good time now. And I was hungry, you know, I really needed to, to start making some money. And so I took that same tenacity that I had just, I wasn't thinking about making money and I was just referring money off the uh, referring uh, business off the cuff I kind of took that same attitude like you know that's how I'm going to approach this business and so I called everybody and I reached out to everybody and I built my business by just building relationships and networking and then I would do, you know, I'd get creative, like, okay, well, how can I meet more people? How can I reach out to more people? And because I'm from LA and because I have a background in the entertainment world, I would put myself in places like the Polo Lounge or the Peninsula Hotel or um, the Grill on the alley, you know, places where I knew I would absolutely run into somebody mm -hmm. and they would, and they would say, Oh my God, what are you doing now? Okay. So you and opened so, the door for that conversation to happen. Absolutely. And then I would reach out to people and I would say, do you want to join me for lunch at the, let me, please let me take you to lunch. And I would take us to the polo lounge, even though I really couldn't afford it. I would do that because I would be sitting in an environment with where the p all the people around me are the people that I want to be doing business with, and I want I want I want those opportunities. And so, if you want those opportunities, you have to put yourself in those places where those opportunities are. Yes. And so, even though it was costing me money to be, it was like I was investing in a potential opportunity. And so that's mm -hmm. how I built my business. I built it with nothing and. And when I say with nothing, I built it with, with my phone book, my Rolodex, my contacts, and, and then my perseverance and hustle. You know, I'm a hustle. And I, 
don't let a lot of grass grow. You know, it's like, I've got to go and make this make, you know, my goal was always, okay, just get one person who's interested. You know, that was realistic to me. If I could get one person that was interested in at least hearing what I do and then possibly just referring me to somebody else. Yes. And the other thing I realized too, is that it's not always about making a sale because Mm -hmm. Really, when you take interest in what other people are doing, I became interested in started building relationships that maybe had nothing to do with what I was selling. But then maybe later on, I might want to be involved in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's It becomes a spiritual game. It becomes an expansion. It's more of just way of sales. It. It's more of just, you know, trying to it's so limited when you're just trying to make a sale. Yes. You know what I mean? It's so limiting and the possibilities are endless. And because my attitude was that way and, and, you know, really I didn't know that I had that attitude and that it was a positive way of doing business. But because of it, I would get random phone calls of, you know, we'd really like you to look at our deck. We'd like you to look at our business. And because of that, I have ended up really investing in a few startups you know, just because I had put myself in positions where people were interested in having me look at what they were doing. And that's the whole point. It's that that's the game, really. That's the whole networking. You know, it's one thing to network, to have fun or to build friends and to get on the party list, I guess, is, a you know, that's one way of networking. For me, I didn't care about going to the party, if that makes sense. I'd been to the party. I'd been to the show in my Playmate days, in my Hollywood days. I had been to the show. I'd been to the party. And that's not what I was interested in. Now I was really interested in meeting people that I could learn from. And that if at the end of the day, go, Oh, that inspires me to be even better, to be mm-hmm. to do e- to do even more. And going to the party just didn't excite me anymore. It got it got really old fast, you know. Because people go, you know, uh, people use networking sometimes. Oh, come to this event Friday night, and I started to do that, and then I realized there's nothing. I never get anything from that. Uh-huh. I'm not I'm not getting business, and I'm waking up tired, and it's not. It's not, that's not a way to network. So I had to change the whole, the whole game for myself. That works for other people. It wasn't working for me. And I thought, okay, how can I network in a more positive, growing, contributing way? And so then when I started to change the way I was looking at that and, 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 building my business, everything changed. Mm -hmm. And I started getting put in front of bigger business managers, bigger family offices, bigger estate planners. And those are the people that I was really trying to get in with. And, and they take you more seriously too, when you're not like showing up at parties and, and that kind of nonsense, because the people that I really want to meet aren't at that party at on Friday night. Can I ask, and this might seem like an odd question, but did you ever, and maybe it's different in LA, I don't know, but did you ever sense any like hesitancy to take you seriously because you're beautiful? And I know that, again, that might sound like a weird question, but I'm curious. 
Well, first of all, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that was around me. And I'm sure that that might have been the first impression that people would get. Mm -hmm. But I think, and I, from experience, the more that people have gotten to know me, that really slips away. As a matter of fact, when people actually found out that I had done Playboy and we'd already done business or they were already my client, they would come to me later and say, did you do Playboy? <laughs> and it was almost like they were baffled. Like <laughs> they, couldn't know, they, they couldn't put that together. And so that's what became really fun. And then also I would be in meetings with you know, five or six people. And I could always tell in the meeting who knew because they'd be, they'd be looking at me and they'd be like, just chopping with a bit to ask me like, what was it like meeting half or what was it like? You know, they were just chopping at the bit to ask me some random <laughs> typical playboy question. But you knew they were not listening to anything about it. Yeah. They were completely glazed <laughs> over. And I'm like, I think they know that I was a playmate. <laughs> <laughs> they know they're on to me. They are on to me. You know, and it's like you could just see it in their face. And it's so funny. You know, and then or or the people that try to act cool. Like, mm -hmm. like they know, but they don't want me to know, you know. And it's like and you're like, no, I can tell. I can I can definitely tell. Oh, I can totally read their, I can read the behavior. And so I'm like, oh my God, this is gonna be a funny meeting. And sure enough, they'd get me like walking out the door, like, so you know, what was half like? And and like, you know, try to break the ice with me somehow. But you know, I could always feel that energy in a room with was people. Ever the question you didn't want people to ask? Like, did you care whether or not they recognized you from Playboy? And, and Never. Okay. But was there ever Never. a question where you're like, hmm, I can do without you asking me that? Uh, huh. That's a good one. A question that I don't want to be asked. No, I don't think yeah, so. I don't think there's ever been a question that I'm like, stop asking me that question. You know, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, it's kind of, I think if you do, <laughs> if you're going to pose nude, you kind of, <laughs> you kind of open yourself up to a lot of different questions. Okay. And, and to pretend like that's off limits is like, really? <laughs> then don't pose nude. <laughs> I, don't, I never thought of it that way ever, but that's okay. Yeah. I Wait. mean, it'd be silly for me to be like, now <laughs> that question is off limits. Okay. That's too far. That's too far. That just took it too far now. You know, it's like, you have to have a sense of humor. I mean, it's like, I pose nude for the number one magazine in the world. Right. Okay. So what? It's like this much of who I am. It's like, that's a part of history. That's, you know, at the time, that was a huge deal in my life. It's, it's never going to go away. So to right. act like, oh, yeah, it's okay. Well, that, da, 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 da. No, it, I, I can't because then I would be downplaying what a huge thing it actually was at the time mm -hmm. and it was in 1989 playboy was the number one magazine in the world you couldn't keep it on the shelves and there was no social media and so to <laughs> see to to see the centerfold you had to buy the magazine it's such a good point 
Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. So it was, it was a much cool. different, it was a much different world. So to have people now, if anybody says to me, do you regret that? Or Ooh. do you regret posing for Playboy? I'm like, why would I regret that? You know, that was a huge part of my life in 1989, 1990. That was, that was like, oh my God. I met so many people. Everybody wanted to meet me. I was, I was on the cover of the magazine. I did Oprah Winfrey. I mean, it was like, that's it opened up all, it opened up all sorts of doors and put me in places as a 25 year old girl that I would have never gotten to had I had not participated in that in the history of the magazine. So no, I, I think it's funny to to anybody to be like, well, that's off limits or no, can't <laughs> talk about that. It's like it's like it, it's 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 too intriguing. It, it it is very interesting and it was an interesting process to go through. You know, I didn't I didn't set out to be a, a in the magazine. And as a matter of fact, when I was chosen to do the magazine, it was all kind of, it happened randomly. I already had an agent and I was already modeling and doing commercials oh. and I was aspiring, you know, I was aspiring actress. And so, and I got the call to go to Playboy to audition for, they were coming out with a new book called the lingerie book Ooh. and they wanted me for the cover. And so I remember asking my agent, is there nudity involved? And she's like, I don't know. You know, I don't think so. It's for the cover. <laughs> so I go to the famous building on Sunset and I go for this audition. And that day they called and said, we want to shoot you to be a centerfold. I had no idea. As a matter of fact, when I got that call, I literally said to the person who called me, I think you're confusing me with another girl. <laughs> and they were like, no, we're not. We mm -hmm. want to shoot you. And I also did that when I was 25 years old. And most of the girls shoot when they're 18, 19 years old. So I was kind of like the PTA. I was like the mom. You know, I was like an old, I was an oldie when I, when mm -hmm. I shot my centerfold. So, you know, it was all, it all was very serendipitous. It all happened the way it was supposed to happen. And I believe in stuff like that. And I, I, I'm not a big fan of wanting to change things that happened in the past because that's what's gotten me to where I am today. Well, so, and that you answered my question because I was going to ask why Playboy? And I didn't know if it was something like you had always wanted to pose or this was a huge goal. So this was just, you were no, already your thing. No. So for me, my question was, why not? Right. Mm. My mm -hmm. question was, why not Playboy? It was handed to me on a silver platter at that time I was in the makeup room and at that time when the makeup artist was doing my doing my hair and makeup, she said, you know, Deb, Playboy gets over a thousand submissions a day oh from God. girls all around the world that are trying to get in this magazine. Why not? It was handed to me on a silver platter. Like, of course, you know, and, and when I was talking to my agents about it, I said, do you think this is going to affect me in a negative way? And they were like, yeah, probably. <laughs> you know? And we were like, well, why not? Bring it on. You know, I was kind of of that mindset. Like, okay, good. Let them talk. Let them, let the haters show up. You know, haters beware. Here we go. So yeah, that was just my attitude. It was like, it wasn't about why it was more of why not? 
Why not do it? Why not do it? Why not be in the number one magazine in the world and enjoy the, being part of history? And then when I, you know, and then, you know, I was 25. I didn't know really anything about half or the magazine. And when I started to learn all the different things about him and the magazine, I was even more happy with my decision because I just loved his vision. I loved who he was. Well, so I guess then a better before question for me to ask then, if not why Playboy is, why did you decide to get into modeling? What were you, did you always want to model? Did you always want to no. get into me? Oh, oh no, I can't wait to no. no, no. As a matter of fact, I was, I was, I grew up figure skating. I thought I was going to be an athlete mm -hmm. and go to the, go to the Olympics as a figure skater. And my role models back then were Dorothy Hamill, Diane DeLue, Janet Lynn, you know, all these great skaters, you know, those were my, who I looked up to. And, and then I thought, well, if I don't make it to the Olympics, I'll do holiday on ice or the ice capades or the ice follies. Cause back then there was all these great ice shows and that's where my focus was. I skated before and after school and it was my life. So after, when I stopped skating, it was an easy transition to go into dance and be a dancer, which led me to being a professional cheerleader, which led me to going to Japan to dance with a group Ooh. in 1983. And while I was in Japan, what? I got asked to do a print ad. And I went to the set to shoot this print ad. And then I got the bug and I was like, well, I could model. <laughs> came back, came back to the United States after modeling and dancing in Japan. And I ended up staying another month in Osaka to model. And when I came back, I told everybody I'm going to model. And everybody was like, no, uh, you know, and I got all the reasons why that was, why that wasn't going to work. You know, you're only five, six, oh. every, everybody wants to be a model. One out of a million people make it in that business. That is the hardest business to break into. I got every reason why I should not pursue modeling and commercials and acting really? of course they won't remember that now but at the time it was you know you should have a job with benefits and you should get a paycheck and you know and so i had some money that i made in japan and i joined immediately a class in hollywood called tepper galegos i don't think it's around anymore but it was a commercial workshop and I thought, I'll start there. And so I took that workshop and I got an agent on the last night. I had three agents approach me. And that just, once I got the one agent, then I got the print agent. The first audition they sent me out on, it was that week. They said, we have an audition for you this week. And I went and it was for a Japanese commercial for Creep, Creep Christy Coffee Creamer, something Ooh. like that. And I booked it. And it was $700 a day. And it was like a That's six a lot of money in 1983. This or 84. This was a lot of money. That's huge. Heck yes. It was a lot of money. I oh, thought I hit that lotto. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, Oh my God, you know, $700 a day. And I worked like six days and I was like, and then, but you know what I didn't realize cause I was so young. <laughs> oh, bless you. So tight. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. What I didn't realize back then is that I had to give 20% to the agent 
or 15 or 20% to the agent. I had to put money aside for taxes. I didn't know any of that stuff. I had to learn all that the hard way. So when I get my actual, when I get my actual check with the taxes taken out, the, 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 you know, the agencies and I get my check and I'd go, Oh, I'm not that rich. You know, <laughs> I'm like, I have enough money for gas, you know? Oh, that's so so that was my first, you know, I learned lessons the hard way with the money situation. Cause I, you know, I would think in my head 700 as the bottom bottom. And I was like, no, that's not what you actually get. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, but I feel like everybody learns that in their first job or like, especially if they didn't learn it in school or nobody told them. Cause I knew like when I, my first start, I don't even want yeah. to tell you what I made on my first job, but <laughs> I, I knew that taxes would come out, but it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to see your paycheck <laughs> afterwards and be like, excuse me. Yeah. This is and, not the pay that. I, by the way, and I did all those jobs, you know, even when I was doing the acting, I was also waitressing at night. You know, I was hostessing and waitressing and doing all the the jobs where I could get cash tips. So I, at least I'd always have cash on me. Mm -hmm. And so I was working all sorts of jobs. I wasn't just, I didn't just land into commercial Hollywood land. I had to hustle on the side and do waitressing and stuff. You know, it was always a hustle. Does anybody ever land in Hollywood land, like, and in that area? I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, I, you hear the stories of, you know, the actors that sleep in their car and, and mm-hmm. they struggle, you know, I think it is a struggle. You know, I, I don't know if anybody ever really lands. I, I think the people that have the, the, if there was an easier way is, you know, the nepotism, if you know somebody oh. or you're born into the entertainment world, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know anybody when I moved to LA and, I started from scratch. I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. I have, you know, the managers tell me that they're a manager and they can change my career. And, you know, and then along the way, I'm like, oh, this person wants to date me. And, you know, so you, I had to learn the hard way. A lot of those lessons that, and then it's really hard too, because I'm a young girl and I'd have to say, I don't want you as my manager. And that's hard for a young girl to stand up and have a voice and, Big time. So I I talked about this with um a few coworkers because I told you I worked for an insurance company, but I worked it was public relations, but it was essentially outside sales. Uh-huh. I was not prepared for the situations I would find myself in. And growing up as a people pleaser, and you're always polite and all these things, and it's like I don't know how to tell what I would call now a scumbag what I want to <laughs> say. Because I was that's, raised, I can't that's the polite. That's the polite. No, so I never did. But it was always these horrible situations, and I'm like, is there a class on this? Like, is there a book that I could read to know what it's, to say it's, in those moments? Yeah, it's really amazing, you know. And I, you know, I, I have very mixed feelings about the whole Me Too movement and all of that. I mean, we we don't need to get into all that, but I have very mixed feelings about it because, you know. I also have to say that most of my mentors and most of my help have come from men in my Mm -hmm. life, especially in business. So I'm really careful about what I put in the universe because I've been so blessed with really amazing men in my life. 
there's always going to be a few that are just mm -hmm. like you said, those scumbag remarks and, you know, the ones that are going to be like saying things that are inappropriate. There's it, it just yeah. it, it's it's just what it's going to be. I, you know, and I had that a lot in, you know, sure. in, New, in New I worked in New York for almost a year. And I remember men have no problem saying whatever they want to say in and I don't know if it's just a New York thing. It's a little bit different in New York. I found it to be a little bit harder as a woman working oh. in New York because men will just say whatever they want. It's interesting you know? that New York, you, you notice the difference from New York versus LA, right? Yeah. Cause I went on, a, I was in my business. I was in print procurement at the time it was the job I did before the job I, I do now. And I was always in meetings with men. And it was almost like I wasn't in the room. They just talk as if I wasn't there. <laughs> and then, you know, and they say whatever they want. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh boy. So I just, you know, what are you going to do? You know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to call all these people out. I was just like, all right, right, you know. Well, and that's the thing. I had a couple situations where they weren't clients. They were potential clients. And and I, one, I actually told my boss about at the time. And she was like, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, you can't. Like, they're yeah, not a client. You can't. you can't hold them accountable. I'm just letting you know, I'm not going to work with the guy. Like, yeah, I don't want to be around him and I don't want to deal with it. So I just want yeah. you to know, take him off my list. Yeah. But. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a real difficult. It can be a very difficult situation if you allow it. And so mm -hmm. I just would avoid I avoid like now I'm just like mm -hmm. if I feel that something's going to get uncomfortable or it's not appropriate, I just avoid that situation mm -hmm. rather than try to change it, because that would just take too long and I don't have the energy for that. And usually you're not, you're not going to be able to change that kind of behavior. No, 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 no. It's a waste of energy. So, but yeah, so breaking labels. Yeah. So after I did Playboy, obviously, you know, I got labeled all sorts of things, you know, and, and what was your favorite and your least favorite. And my favorite is the goal. I was labeled a gold digger. I was a gold digger. I love that. Um, all of a sudden. Because I'm hanging out with, you know, all these wonderful people in LA and I'm dating really successful men. And all of a sudden I became a gold digger. And I was like, really? That quick? This is a, this is a girl that had no money growing up, you know, and I didn't marry for money. I married for love, you know, and I didn't, I didn't, you know, ask the person I was going to marry, I need to see your bank account before we get married. You know, where there was no bank account. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> and there was none when we got divorced. There was nothing to fight oh. about. You know what I mean? It was like we parted ways. There was nothing to split up. So I always found that very interesting that I was a gold digger when, you know, I, my history was very contrary to that. And the fact that after my divorce, I worked two, three jobs at a time. I was like, okay. So I'd laugh at that. I actually wrote a blog about this yesterday because I just find it to be, that's a funny one. And then the one, I guess the one that I don't like is, <clears throat> God, I've been labeled so many different things. I guess, you know, I think there's a label that if you pose nude, then you'd be easy you'd be an easy target in, you know, like easy to date and get in bed, you know, and that one kind of bothers me because, you know, just cause I pose nude in a magazine doesn't mean I'm like an easy, right. An easy target for going, you know, Oh, I she'll, she'll crawl in bed with me quick. Cause she posed nude. I gotta yeah. be honest. I feel kind of naive that it didn't even occur to me that that would have been an assumption. Yeah. 
Cool. So, so let's just put it this way. Mm-hmm. It's probably not a good idea. And I've actually tried this for <laughs> me to go on a dating website. Doesn't work for me because the minute people Google me or they get a hint that I did Playboy, then all of a sudden you have people wanting to date me for the wrong reason. And so I found that out the hard way too, because I, you know, I got divorced and a few years after my divorce, I decided to really put myself out there and I put myself on a couple dating websites and I had to take myself down immediately because I got bombarded with messages from like, I'm like, did they not read my profile? Like, I mean, from people that just like sending me, you know, like that were obviously not a match, but then I thought, oh, guess what? They're Googling me. Mm-hmm. And it hit me. And I was like, I can't be on a dating match. No. Because our dating website, because the minute people even, because that's what people do now, they Google you. Mm-hmm. I so mean, that, I Google before I go on a date, but it's because it's 2021. Well, no. well yeah, no. of course you do. Of course you do. And you're smart to do that. But in my <laughs> case, if they Google me and they go, oh, she was a playmate. I want to date her. Uh, yeah, that's not going to work that right off the bat. That's that energy is not doesn't work for me. And then, of course, then I have the situation where if I do start to date to date somebody and I and I like them. I will tell them. I will say, look, here's the deal. If we can nip this in the bud right now, I just want you to know that you may go and Google me and all this stuff may come up because that's just the way the internet is and half of it's true and half of it's not. Mm-hmm. And so it's your choice whether or not you want to continue dating me. And I'm very upfront about that because I don't want to. And you know, what's funny too is the last person I dated when we broke up, it, that became a thing. All of a sudden it was a thing that I was getting fan mail and it was a thing. And I'm like, I told you in the beginning that this is a part of my deal and you were okay in the beginning. And what changed? It just does. And so I just, or, you know, it just became a thing is what I'm saying. I don't know if it changed, but it became a thing. Like, and you get fan mail from men. And I'm like, yeah, I told you that in the beginning that that is a part of my, you know. Can we also, it's, it's not you asking for it. You're not saying like, hey guys, send me, send yeah. me email. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. And I get more fan mail, unfortunately, today because Donald Trump is on the cover of my issue. So it's now a collector's item. So I, I get all this fan mail now because everybody wants my signature. Holy crap. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I, holy crap. Oh, yeah. Google your Playboy cover. I didn't know that. Oh, my yeah. God. He's on the cover of my issue. So now I get all this crazy oh, fan mail. And, oh. you know, it's like I thought that was over. And now it's, it's all starting back. But the joy of the Internet. The joy of the Internet. So, yeah. yeah so it's wow. it's really interesting. And <clears throat> excuse me. So it is what it is. So. You know, and then, you know, obviously, and then I have, you know, wonderful men that I've dated that they're secure in the fact that it means nothing, you know, that they know it means nothing, you know, it's just, a, it was a blip in history. Well, okay. Well, speaking of, not really speaking of the blip, but where, where did the transition go? Like, did you stop? Um, modeling and acting once you got married and had children or like, what was the evolution from 
Playboy model. I think it, yeah, it was it was after I started having children. I it was really hard to keep up with auditioning and okay. and so I think really after I had my third child, uh 1997, I think 1998 was the last pilot that I did. And I just found it really hard. I was tired. I was really yeah. tired with three kids, and I was a full-time mom. You know, I was hands-on with my kids, so I was tired and couldn't keep up. I wanted to, but I just couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, but it's okay because throughout the years, you know, I've gone on auditions and I've booked okay. things throughout the years. I've never really walked away a hundred percent. So in 2003, we moved to Park City, Utah, and I got an agent in Salt Lake and I was with talent management group there. And I did a lot of work with that agency and in when we lived there. And, and then one of my favorite things I did was I, I was the host for the Mountain Morning Show for Park City TV. Oh, cool. And my co-host was Chris Steele, and I loved doing that. It was a volunteer position because it's small, you know, it's the park, you know, it's a small town. It was (laughs) Park City TV. Nobody watched it. And but it was fun. I got up at 5:30 every morning to to co-host a live, unscripted two-hour morning show. And so I did that. And so I've always kind of had a foot in somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and kept it up that way, you know. And and even when I was living in New York, I had an agent in New York, and I'd go out on commercial auditions. If a commercial audition was I was appropriate for, they'd send me out on it. So everywhere I've lived, I've always had an agent representation, and and I'll I'll still go on auditions. Okay, because I was wondering, like, and I've always wondered this, you know, is it hard to go from being in the spotlight? all the glamour that people assume there. I know there's a lot that's not glamorous, but that part of it to being a mom of three, because that is very unglamorous. Like unglamorous being a mom of three. Mm -hmm. Especially the full-time mom. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of work. Yes. You know, it's a lot of work to be a full-time mom. I get why moms have nannies and other people that come in and take over because it's so much work. And there were times where I was like, God, I wish I just had somebody to help me, you know, but I, we, we, you know, we really couldn't afford to do that. So, so I, but you know, what's really cool is that like, we lived near a park before we moved to park city and I would put two of my kids in the stroller and I'd have one on the pack and I'd walk to the park cause I was really close to the park. And I, that was my relief because mm-hmm. I could put two in a swing and they'd play in front of me. And it was like, we were very content. I would take snacks and that would take up like two, three hours. And then they'd be tired after that outing. So it was worth it. It was like, you just go do that. But while I was at the park, because I lived in an affluent area, (laughs) I'd be be at the park with all the nannies. Oh, And they thought I, because I looked really young, you know, as I looked like a really young mom. And so they thought I was a nanny, but they gave me so many great tips. Oh, you know, I got the nanny tips. That is a great place to get tips. I never yeah. would have thought about that. Yeah. That so cool. they would so they would tell me, like, oh, when you get home, do this, this, and this, and then they'll fall right to sleep and they'll take a good nap. And so I got all these great tips oh. from the nannies in the at the park and I became friends with them. That is awesome. Yeah. How have nannies not written books? I 
I know they really, I mean, it's so brilliant. I, I actually probably should with all the tips they gave me, I should have kept track of it all. Cause it, it was actually kind of funny if you could just see me at the park with all the nannies and I look like the haggard. I mean, I was like 32, 33 years old and I look like I was so haggard and tired. Cause I, you know, my big, my, my big accomplishment during the day was this, if I could get a shower, then I was like, I wow. Heard that so much. What? I heard that so much from mom. Yeah. If I could get a shower, it was like, oh my God, I won the lotto, you know, because <laughs> I was like, I was on such a strict schedule with three. I had three in three years. Oh, Deborah, that's a, that's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. So yeah, I could do anything. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, at this point, I could do anything. I had three babies in three years. So not a lot of people can say that. No. no. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot of work. Was it? Oh, was that ever brought up when you were like in, I don't want to say in mom mode because that doesn't. It sounds like it's something you go in and out of, and you're always a mother. But when you were raising the children, did the Playboy thing ever come up? Were it there did. other parents? Yeah, it did. It didn't come up from the parents, not really. Oh. Um, it came up mostly when my kids got into like seventh, eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And right around that time, the internet was really exploding. And You know, I think Facebook was starting and all of that. And I think when people Googled my, they knew that their, that my kid's dad was in the Olympics. So if they Googled him, then they Googled me. Mm -hmm. And so then they found out that I did Playboy. And so I think there were a few times where like, especially with my son, where the guys would be like, your mom was in Playboy, dude. Oh my God. You know, and so I think it was a little weird for my kids. Mm -hmm. I asked them one time, I said, what was it like growing up having your dad be this famous Olympic athlete and and then people telling you, telling you that your mom was in Playboy and we talked about it. You know, I asked them what it was like for them and they said, you know, because of the way I think Mitch and I were in the beginning and how we raised them that I don't think it was a huge, huge deal for them. But, you know, it was, it got weird with my son a little bit, you know, just cause you know, he didn't look at me that way. And then all of a sudden his friends were like, dude, he's not supposed to. <laughs> no, no. But you know what I mean? Like he just, I was like, I was like the, the mom, I was a PTA mom. <laughs> I taught Hebrew school, you know? So, <laughs> but that's, that's real life, right? Like you that's said, real life. such a small part of your life. You're all these other things besides all that. these other things. So, yeah. So, and I was very involved in their school and activities and I taught at their Hebrew school. And so I was really involved in all of that. And so that's why I'm saying, I think that by the time that people did start making them aware mm-hmm. that, that their parents were these two people. Then I think they thought, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. You know, I don't, you know, but yeah, we talked about it and they just said that it just got, it got a little weird at times, but not, not, nothing major ever came out of it or happened or I never really had anybody. I had a few people ask me about it, you know, mo- other moms or 
people in my community, but it just wasn't, I think because it wasn't like I was walking around like a, looking like a playboy bunny all the time. <laughs> Nobody cared. I was in sweats <laughs> half the time. Lucky if I got a shower in. So I didn't look like a glamorous, like I wasn't showing up all bunnied out. I, no, I, I was debunnied. <laughs> I was debunnied. Debunnied. Yeah. Well, okay, but still, I feel like even in that phase of your life, there could be assumptions made, like whether they know that you were a Playboy Bunny, they know there's this beautiful woman who modeled. She's married to an Olymp Olympic, what gold medal, Olympic gold medalist, yeah, gold medalist, and has three kids. Like by all accounts, that isn't that kind of the American dream, like this. <laughs> Like if I, and there I was a song it. written about it. Yeah, there was a song. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, yeah, it is. It does. It looks like the American dream. You know, Olympic athlete marries a Playboy playmate. They have three kids. White picket fence. Woo. You know. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, that's not how it is. You know, and it's not reality. You know. It's you know I say this all the time too, and I say it jokingly, but if there's something to it, and that is. I remember when uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were going through all the, the problems and they were getting divorced and it was not good. And I remember thinking, if those two can't stay together, we have problems, people. Really? Because these are two of the most hot looking people on the planet. She's drop dead gorgeous. He's drop dead gorgeous. And everybody was so enthralled with Brad Pitt and Angelina. And, and then they, they can't make it right? They can't stay together. And that, I think about that, like what is going on that those two can't stay together? And 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 then by the way, there's a, so many examples like that, where you see these people that are just, they seem like a perfect, of course they'd be together. Look at them. They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. and, and then they can't stay together. So there's something about that, that, that intrigues me. And, and it makes me think about what really keeps people together. And and what brings them together and then what keeps them together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a whole other book. I mean, we could be, we could be here all day on that subject. Well, listen, I love that stuff. Cause I've always, one of my favorite things when I would was working um, for the insurance company with, if I would meet couples, cause I worked all crazy hours going to different associations and meetings. And if I met a couple that had been married for any length of time, like 20, 40, 50 years, okay. I, how? Why? Yeah. How? How does it work? How do you do no. it? Exactly. Great questions. Yeah. Because it, it, what it, are you guys doing that keeps and and by the way, and I've been around people like that too that have been married twenty plus years and they're they're more in love today. And I'm like, how? How do you do it? What What was the secret? Give me your secret sauce. Right. Yeah. It's so admirable. It's so admirable. I do think it's ironic because I think for us as a society, it's easy to think that it's what the, how things look that matter, but it's usually not what actually keeps them together. Like, of course you have to be attracted to the person that you're with on some level, but it's never once has, have any of the couples said because he's so hot and she's so beautiful. Yeah. Never been about that. No, 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 it's no, about no, like no. The little things like, him remembering that, you know, that day is the day that her mother died and remembering to do something kind for her on that day yeah. or like it's those little things that well, nobody either does or doesn't so, do. 
So going back to when I said I laugh about the fact that people call me a gold digger, because it's really interesting. I get very uncomfortable with gifts. I'm one of those people that just it makes me it makes me uncomfortable when it's not my love language. Exactly. That is not my love language. I'm more about touch and I like to take trips and adventure and I like to go hiking. I like to be in nature. But if somebody gives me a really expensive piece of jewelry or especially if we're not married, it's really odd to me Mm. and it doesn't feel authentic. I get that. For me, it just doesn't feel authentic. And it's not really, you know, I, and I remember this, this is interesting because I, when I got married, I actually told my husband <laughs> that we don't need to spend money on wedding rings. You know, I don't need a big diamond. That, that seemed to me like a really silly way to spend money with jewelry to say, see this big rock, you know, <laughs> that's, is the antithesis of a gold digger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like people really don't even know when you, that's why, and by the way, and I'm guilty of this too. I've put labels on people and then I get to know them and I'm like, oh my God, they're nothing like what I thought. And I had already put like 10 post-it notes on them <laughs> of what I thought they were. And then I met them and they were nothing like that. So I'm guilty of this. And that's why I can laugh now and not take it so personally when people have some sort of judgment of me because they don't know me. They don't know what, what I want, what I, what rocks my world, what, what I'm interested in. You know, I mean, I would much rather start some sort of foundation or charity. Like I'm at that place in my life too, you know, where it's like, I want that partner. I want that partner that wants to like do something like that. And, you know, I don't, I, I'm really, I'm into like really, you know, I like simple things. You know, I have a very simple routine. I, I listen, when I started making money, I will tell you this. I went a little crazy and I bought a lot of shoes. <laughs> that was your thing. And I will tell you this. They all sit in a box in my closet and it's very rare that I wear those shoes. And I thought about this really one day, really deeply. I'm probably going to write a blog about this now because it just because I'm talking about it. This is what happens. I talk about things and then I'm like, I'm going to write a blog about that box of shoes. It's going to be called box of shoes. Look for it. <laughs> I can't wait. But I bought so many shoes because that was like, because I never had shoes. You know what I mean? Like oh, all of a sudden, okay. all of a sudden I could buy whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So I bought shoes and I don't wear them. And then it's kind of like that movie in her shoes. You know, I have them. They make me feel good. You know, it's the one thing that fits. Oh, Jeff, you haven't seen the movie. I'm just talking, rambling. I'm rambling. But anyway, but that's how I feel now. It's like, I want simple. Mm -hmm. I don't need to buy a pair of shoes to feel good. I already feel good. I don't need to buy some designer coat to feel good. I already feel good. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I started to make money. Then I start was like filling that hole of like, oh, now I can feel really good about myself and dress better and wear better shoes. But really, I'm still me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it didn't change a darn thing. I'm still me. And it really, really made me realize I got to fix internally, not externally, what's going on. And that's the key to fix internally not yeah. externally. Cause yeah, I could put on 
Chanel all day long, but I'm a train wreck on the inside, then that's, what's the point? What was the biggest thing for you to overcome when you started working on the internal? That's a great question. What was the, the biggest? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So for me, cause okay. So I'm doing this whole thing this year. So I'll, I'll, you're the first person I've even talked about this. So I have done this thing this year where I've limited many things. I've taken away many things and I have given myself better things. So I've taken away traveling. I've taken away TV. I've taken away social media, except for promoting my podcast or my websites or branding or my message. So I've taken away that. I've taken away alcohol or anything above the neck that would change my state. Mm. I've taken away dating for a while. I've taken away distractions. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you can think about this. So I have two Mm -hmm. boards. One is the things that I remove and one is the things that I give. And what I have given myself is it's right here in front of me is morning meditation and prayer, sitting in silence, reading books, writing 30 minutes to an hour a day, hiking, being in nature, really getting aligned with myself. No major decisions. That's on the removal board. So no major decisions for one year. No traveling for one year. No dating for one year. So it's all these things to allow myself to go on this deep, deep, deep journey. And so that has been the hardest the hardest thing to do because I, and you'll, if you, if you have read any of my blogs, mm-hmm. I wrote one called running shoes and the running shoes is, is that's, I think it was the second one I wrote and it's about running. It's about changing your environment, your relationship, your job, whatever. It's always changing something to, to not look at what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a runner. So that's what I do. If something's not going right, I'll go to Cabo for the weekend. If something's not going right, I'll break up with that person. If something's not going right, I'll go on a road trip. If something's not right, you know what I mean? It's just like changing the environment, changing the relationship, changing, changing, changing. But the problem with that is, is that everything that you're doing, you're taking this with you. Mm-hmm. And so finally, I just stopped it. And I made that decision on November 30th, 2020. I woke up at two in the morning and I started writing on my whiteboard and I started to realize that there was a pattern and I needed to stop it now. And how am I going to stop the pattern? Number one, you got to recognize that that there's something that needs to change. And then number two, you got to do what I said. You got to make a program for yourself. And everybody's program is going to look different. For Mm -hmm. me, this is what I needed to do to do a dive deep into my soul, into my purpose, into what I believe. And I thought, you know, here I'm writing a book Mm -hmm. 
that's also what propelled this as well is because I, I'm writing a book and I'm writing about a lot of trauma and I'm writing about a lot of my journey and my stories and all of that. And in order to do that, I have to get really quiet and sit with mm -hmm. it because it's, it's painful to look at some of that stuff mm -hmm. and it's not easy. So, so that's what kind of started. And then, you know, it's really easy to go online and pick somebody else's program. Like I know a lot, a lot of people right now are doing the 75 hard. That seems to be the big one that everybody's doing right now, or they're doing, you know, uh, they're Tony Robbins or, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and believe me, I've done all of these things. <clears throat> and that's why I woke up at two in the morning and I said, wait a second, this all, why aren't I doing my program? Mm. Why don't I create my program and do my program? And then after a year, if I see some great like change or if I do this program for one year and I see, wow, this is where I slipped, this is where I made mistakes, but I'm able to see the patterns of it. And I have not done this perfectly. It is now we're at the end of May and mm -hmm. I've had a couple slips. One, I had to travel, I had to travel for work. Mm -hmm. So I've taken one trip since November. And I immediately got on a plane and came back home because I realized on that trip, I was like, wow, isn't this interesting? All those things are coming up that I'm trying to really work on. It Which was very, what, what things, things like, just like the fear of being alone. I don't know what it is about getting on an airplane now for me, but it's like, there's this fear of being alone. There's this fear of not finding your soulmate. There's a fear of not sleeping at night. Mm -hmm. There's a fear of um, failing. Mm -hmm. you know, that's always, that's kind of always kind of in the, you know, there's all these little things that kind of, but so now I have to rewire that and say, well, this is exciting because I'm going to go back home and write about this and realize that this is why I said no traveling for a year, because I think it takes it takes at least 90 days to really build a really good habit. Mm -hmm. But it also takes a little bit longer to really work on that inner self stuff. Yes. So mm -hmm. you can do the 90 days, right? The 90 days is people go, oh, I'll just do that for 90 days. Mm -hmm. But really, I think to make a lasting change, because I've done the 90 days several times throughout my life. But to really make the lasting change, I think it takes a deeper dive. And that's why I woke up and said, hey, I got to do my program. I've got to do create a program for people who want to do a deep dive that maybe are having the same issues that I'm having. Because mm -hmm. if I'm having these issues, then I know other people are. And that's why I started writing the blog, because I thought I'm going to write the blog and see if people are relating to what, and I'm not, you know, I used to say I'm not a writer. Well, guess what? Now I say, I'm a writer. I write 30. If I write an hour a day, I'm a writer. Yes, you do. If I'm putting an hour of my day into writing. Then I'm a writer. It's just like if I'm putting an hour or two hours a day into working out, I'm an athlete. Mm -hmm. There's no difference. You know, if you're doing it, you're doing it. And so that's, I think that's been the biggest thing for me this year is to kind of stick to a program and and then see where I'm slipping 
where, and then it's so cool because when I slip, I immediately get back, go, you know, it doesn't take me as long to pull mm. myself back up this time. It's like now, because I'm doing the program, I'm keeping a journal of all of it and, and then blogging along the way. And so we'll see what it turns into, but it's interesting for me because I think that, you know, we all go through these really tough times, but we never really take the time to heal from anything. We think we're over it, but we're not. Or at least I'm not. I can just tell you, I have been through some really tough times in my life. And because I needed to move on or I've needed to work or I've needed, I didn't never took the time to really heal from a lot of those things. Like, I don't think I actually really healed from my divorce or healed from childhood traumas or healed from when I got full custody of my kids and I had to spend all that time in court. And those are all traumatic things. And I never really gave myself the time to heal from any of it. So I thought, why not do my own program where it's a program of total immersion in healing? Mm -hmm. so everything I set my day up for is based on healing, is based on recovery, is based on getting better, is based on health, wellness. So that's that's kind of what inspires me today. Can I tell you, it's so crazy that we ended up talking about the trauma or, or the healing because I've been reading Oprah's new book, What Happened to You? Yes. And it's all about trauma that happens in childhood and reading yeah. it. There's so many, like this week's episode was all about the little like, Oh my God, that's why I do that. And it's stuff that I didn't even think really bothered yeah. me or was still with me or that was active. But if yeah. you are continuously doing the same things over and over and coping the same ways you always have, then obviously it's still there. The wound is yeah. still there. That's what did it for me. The light bulb went off when I had something happen to me and I reacted the way I've always reacted in my past to it. But it's not who I am anymore, but I'm still mm -hmm. reacting that way. And I thought, this isn't even who I am. Why am I reacting this way? I know better. Mm -hmm. But yet, it's like, it's like, it's so in me. It's almost like if you practice piano, mm -hmm. right? You're practicing, practicing, and you play that same song and you practice and you practice. And then all of a sudden, you hit the wrong key. It throws you, you know? Off. And you mm -hmm. go, eh, did you go back to playing, playing, playing? Well, that's kind of what it was. You know, it's like, I don't even know if that made sense. Okay, let me try a better example. Let me try a better example. But <laughs> it's like when something happens and I'm now reacting the way I've always reacted my entire life, even as a kid, like I'm not getting my way. Then in my marriage, I'm not getting my way. Then after my marriage, I'm not getting my way. And then today, I know that doesn't work and I'm still <laughs> doing it. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, my God, why am I reacting this way when I know, I know logically this mm -hmm. isn't going to work, but I keep doing it. And that's what got me so excited because I thought, okay, I'm excited now because I can go to Tony Robbins all day long. I can go to all these seminars all day long, and that's just going to make me feel inspired and pumped up. Yes. But when it comes to the actual moment when something's happening that's disturbing you and you don't like the way it's going and you're reacting with all your past trauma, mm -hmm. whoa. That's a whole different ball game. Mm -hmm. And I thought, 
oh my God, I'm going deep. I'm going deep into this to find out where this is coming from, why I'm getting, I mean, I went from rage to judgment, to jealousy, to envious, like within a zero to a hundred. And I was like, whoa, where's that coming from? Because mm-hmm. the truth is, I don't really feel that way, but right. that's what I've been trained to react with. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, that's when the power hit me. I was like, oh my God, I've put that out there so long that that's what my body does. It just does that. Yes. It's like it's on autopilot. It just yes. reacts with these most ridiculous responses that if I was watching the playback, I'd be like, whoa. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Why would you react that way? Why would you say that? And that's what it's just autopilot. It's like, I'm not unconscious. I go into completely trauma bonding mentality. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a topic that is so intriguing. And so that's why I said, I threw off the covers because I was sitting there just feeling all this like, ugh. Like, why am I always reacting the same way? And then all of a sudden it hit me because you haven't, you haven't done the work. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm doing the work. That's the hardest thing I think to look at is mm-hmm. what is the stuff in ourselves that we don't want to look at. It's hard. It's really hard work. And I get I, why I, that if, Hey, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. It's easier to go to a rah, rah motivational thing. And this is coming from somebody who also does that. Like, I love a rah-rah. Yeah, That's why I listen to podcasts. Great. That's why I they're watch great. Them. But th- why is it they don't last? That that was intriguing to me. Like, I felt like I was going, 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 going. But something wasn't sticking. And so I thought, okay, I got to go deeper. I got to go deeper, 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 deeper. And that's what got me excited this year. And, and, and got me really writing more and journaling more and just being silent. And now, like, I will just tell you before we even got on this podcast, I was having that moment of just everything felt uncomfortable that I was trying to do. I was trying to send an email and that got uncomfortable. And then I was getting frustrated because I couldn't find something that I was looking for. And then I got frustrated because I got a payment of something and I didn't know where it was coming. You know, it was like, whatever it was, every little thing, it was just like a nudge and irritating and frustrating. And I thought, wow, look at that. Here it is. It's like right here. Mm-hmm. I'm like experiencing it right now. And it's You're right before, right before I'm getting on a podcast. How ironic, you know? Uh-huh. Oh. And it's those feelings that I'm so intrigued with. Why am I feeling so tight right now? Why am I feeling so upset and nothing's happening? Nothing's happening, but I'm getting like angst. But so I cool. Your I was gonna <laughs> say your eyes are lit up like and and I don't know if this part will be video part, but if anybody can see your eyes are lit up, because I can tell you're like, I can't wait to journal about this later. Oh, I can't. I I cannot wait. Like uh, light bulbs go off when I, you know, it's because you get inspired when you talk and you, and then you realize what's really inside of you, right? When you start really talking about it and that's therapy really, 
Yes. It's, it's that when you, it starts coming out of you. And that's why I said, I can't wait to go. I know I have a blog about my shoe boxes. And, <laughs> you know, it's, and then I just, I write from my heart. You know, I write what I'm feeling. It's going to resonate with some people and other people are going to go, whatever. And that's mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. I'm at a place now where it's like, it's not about, it's not about winning or succeeding. It's just about giving back and, con con you know, I didn't get this far to not give it back. You know, I didn't have all these experiences to hold on to them. I, I have to share that <laughs> to really have them be worth something. I didn't go through all this mud and all this quicksand to not share what not to do. I just, I can only imagine what you're kind of, what you're going to come out of this year with. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting because I'm like six months into it. And there have been days where it's just brought me to my knees, you know, because all mm -hmm. the things that I'm used to doing to get me out of that feeling, just like what I was feeling an hour ago, those things I used to do, I used to call a friend, you want to meet for lunch, we drink rosé, and I would just completely disconnect from whatever it was that I was feeling. And now I just sit with it. I <laughs> just sit, observe. Mm-hmm. Watch you know, the go by. This is fun. Mm -hmm. My heart's racing. Yep. Palms are getting sweaty. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like I want to jump out my window. Okay. This is fun. Mm -hmm. You know, that rosé is sounding good, but you know, <laughs> once you make the decision, you know, I made a decision that this was my program and this is what I was going to do. Then that's it. That's, that's the, that's the decision. I made it and there's no, I'm not negotiating it. It's like mm. I'm sitting in it and going through it and, and don't, and I have a lot of great people that, you know, that I have it around me that surround me. I have a coach, I have a trainer, I have people. I'm in a workshop right now online with really positive people. I go to women's meetings, you know, I make myself, uh, I have reached out, so to speak, to get out of my comfort zone and, and be in groups that I think will add value to this to what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It seems like the, all of the ones, it seems very intentional. The ones that you're going to and you're being a part of, it sounds very yes. intentional. Like, you know what their place is in your journey. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's what's, what Deb's working on and not, it was not <laughs> the hardest one for me. So when I say no TV, so I do watch documentaries. Mm-hmm. And like, I just watched the Oprah, uh, Prince Harry. Oh yeah. The interview or no, yeah. no, no. Or the, the me you can't see. The me you can't see. I want to see that. Is that good? Very good. Oh, and so I've been watching a lot of documentaries on brain health and brain, anything that has to do with the mind. So I do that. And then I, I read about an hour a day. So, and sometimes I, I switch off books. I read uh, Wayne Dyer's The Power of Manifestation, I have, or The Power of Intention. I think I've read that literally January, February, March. I just kept over and over and over again. Just kept, anytime I'd get in a funk, I just play it, lay down and play the book. I'm going to do that. My coach um, had me read one book that I really, I read um, The Magic by Rhonda Byrne about gratitude. Okay, I haven't read that. I'll read that. It was amazing. But I, 
now that I'm finishing up Oprah's book, I'm like, what's, what's the next one? Yeah. And you'll love another one. You'll, the other one that you'll really, really enjoy is the surrender experiment. And that's where I think I got my idea. Um, now that I'm saying it out loud, I think it's where I got my idea for my program is just surrendering it all. Taking everything, taking everything and just surrendering. What one you said? Hmm? What was the one you said? Oh, the magic. The magic. And what's the Oprah one that you're reading? What happened to you? It is. Oh, man. I think I downloaded that. So that's funny. That'll be my next book. It is so good. And it is so in line with your entire journey that you're going through. The aha, like the connections that are going to be firing in your head are just going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I love when I, because I'm reading a book right now called You're a Badass. Um, Oh, oh, I read her, um, You're a Badass at Making Money. Yes. So good. She is so, I love, I just, it's so easy to listen to. And there's chapters that I go back and I re-listen to. I love her chapter on procrastination. That's one of the best chapters in the book, but I love that book. I love the surrender experiment. I love the power of intention. I love relationship goals. Um, I've just been on a, 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 a mad search for answers, you know, because I'm tired of reacting the same way that I've always reacted, you know, and to really make a change, I think. I just have to, I had to strip it all down to the basics and start, start with a whole new, fresh perspective. And also, you know, I'm writing a book and I'm getting really, really deep. You know, I talk a lot about childhood trauma and um, because I, I suffered not just from my parents with their, the way they interacted with each other. But also, what you know, I had a couple of physical traumas at three, and then again at five. I fell off a wall, and I fell flat on my face, and my my nose was deformed; it never grew. So I've had I've had seven surgeries. Holy cow! Yeah. So this is the other thing that's really interesting, you know, because I modeled. Is that I, you know, I had a funny nose, and I would get bullied in school a lot because I had a deformed nose. It was just a little little round ball. And so it, people would call me pug nose or ET. I mean, just horrible, horrible things. You know, I was terribly bullied. And so that causes trauma. Oh, huge, huge yeah. trauma. And so I was super insecure about it because it wasn't something that wasn't my fault. Mm. I fell on my face bad. And so I had total head and face trauma I was in kindergarten when that happened. And then two years prior or a year prior, they took out my tonsils and I lost too much blood and ended up in the hospital getting blood transfusions for like a month. So all, so those are traumas. And, and so nobody ever talks about those, those traumas. They only talk about verbal abuse or sexual abuse or rape or these as it, but there are other types of traumas. Oh, absolutely. So many, there are thousands. And so I'm really, really interested in how those have affected me throughout my life because I know I have like very uh, 
I don't like my face to be covered. And I'm sure that comes from the trauma of falling on my face. Absolutely. And I'm so, assuming there would have been some sort of a bandage or something that you would have had to deal with when that. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My face was out to here. By the time my mother came to get me, I was out to here. She didn't even recognize me. I was completely unrecognizable. I was so swollen and I probably had a concussion and they didn't know, you know, back then they just didn't know. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to deal with any of that. And so I, you know, all those things, you know, and so I was really fragile as a kid with being bullied by the way I looked and being bullied because I was ice skating and I wasn't social with my friends. And so it was just really like all that stuff. So, you know, and here's what happens, I think, too, is that when you're bullied, you become a bullier. Mm. And so then I started bullying. And then you get into that mean girls club where everybody's bullying each other and it just becomes this vicious circle. And so I talk about that, too. I'm really like going deep in my book because I really want to be so completely brutally honest and not leave anything unturned, you know, because. I'm just a human being. I'm here having a human experience and it is by far, far from perfect. And, you know, the mistakes and the horrible things that I've done and made, I want people to know that, you know, you, you, you get better, you know, you learn from those failures. And I, there's so many things that I handled so poorly, but, and I wouldn't handle that way today, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, it's it's really cool. I love when I read about people that have gone through hell and back and and survived it. Same. It's so inspiring to me. I'm going to go ahead and make a reservation now that after the year is done and you have journaled and you're coming through and whether it's you've finished your book or you're well into it, I can't wait to have another conversation with absolutely. you. Absolutely. I would love that. I would absolutely oh. love that. I, I love can't that. I love this. I love your breaking labels. I love the the energy I feel from your podcast is so beautiful. So I would love to come back. Yay! Oh, and I can't just the things, the connections that you're going to make, and and yeah, the healing. The it's a puzzle. Thing. I love puzzles. By the way, that's one of my hobbies. I could that sit and sense, do puzzles actually. all day long. I could just sit and do puzzles. I love putting things together, and so it's kind of like that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm putting a puzzle of my life together, and the more I get into it, the more I am, I am reconnecting with my past. Mm -hmm. So I had a conversation two days ago with a gentleman that I went to high school with and he just, he's starting a business and he wanted to talk to me about his business. And I, we were talking about how crazy it that we're talking like 40 years later. Wow. You just and then we were, and then we were talking and then I said, yeah, I just met with my very first agent. I signed with Kathy Clark in 1985 there no longer exist. And the agency after that no longer exists. But one of the models opened up her agency. It's called the brand agency. And I met with her last week. And I said, we work together. I know we worked together in the 80s. And, you know, and it's like I'm reconnecting with my past. I'm on a journey. And I'm putting all the I'm putting all the pieces of the puzzle together of things that maybe I didn't see when I was in it. And I see now, and it's so, it's so, what a, what a journey, what a beautiful journey to be on. It is. Can I tell you, I'm so glad that we had this discussion. Not that I didn't enjoy talking about the Playboy and the <laughs> I did, but th this 
this conversation is what just like lights me up. It lights me up too. And that's what I, that's why I say Playboy is like this much of really who I am. And most people don't even know this side of me. And so thank you so much for the opportunity to share and tell my story and, and have this time, you know, time is so precious. So thank you so much. You're welcome. No, so what is the best way for people to get a hold of you? Is it reading the I, book? I, I, my website is I want people to connect with me. Okay. I'm really into that. I want to be able to answer questions. And so I just launched it. Bear with me. I think it's 90% there, but it's okay. DebraDriggs.com. That's and my I first my first blog is it's called The Hard Truth. And that's and I've written 12 since I wrote that one, but we're starting just launched that one. And then on Instagram, I have a whole journey. I post things that inspire me. I post things from my past. I post things present. I post things about my business and how I was successful in there. So I have like five major categories of things I post about. I post about my fitness journey. You know, I'm 57 and I feel like I'm just starting over in my fitness life. And so, yeah, I, I, I have a lot going on. I have a lot of different projects I'm working on. So yeah, Instagram and my website are the two best places if you want to connect. So I will, what, what I do is when the episode comes out, I always tag the person on Instagram if they have an account. So if you want to just email me later and I will include your Instagram handle. Um, and also, which I'll cut this part out, but if you could send me some pictures to yes. include on the Instagram account, not just the headshots play like, like pictures from your story. Yes, right? absolutely. Yay. Yeah. Excited. Yeah. So excited. Yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you a few things and um, yeah, I'll do that right now. As, as a matter of fact, while I'm thinking about it. Okay. Perfect. Yay. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. It was so beautiful to meet you. Thank you. Good to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wasn't that fun? I loved that conversation. I loved every bit of it. I loved the fun of talking about her experiences with Playboy, but I also, also love talking about the journey of healing because how many of us are going through that? And I have a feeling if you're listening to this podcast, you're on your own healing journey of some form or another. And I would be so grateful if you left a written review on iTunes. It really helps push the podcast out to people who you know, listen to similar podcasts and might enjoy breaking labels as much as you hopefully do. And if writing a review isn't your thing, then hey, just share this episode with someone you think could benefit from it. That's great too. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. That's just to make sure that when we get a new or when we post a new episode every Wednesday, you automatically have it waiting for you in your queue on whatever app you listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the places. If you subscribe, then it'll automatically be available to you every Wednesday morning. And with that, I cannot wait to see you next week.